0: Hello everyone and welcome to That Was Genius. This is a funny history podcast by Tom Berry and Sam Datta, exploring little-known stories and corners of the past. We'll get to the history shortly, but first, a couple of minutes of what we ominously call quote, witty banter, highlights of our pre-recording chat, which usually ends up being mostly toilet humour.
1: Well, I was thinking this the other day what it would have been like to be alive in the year 1111
0: yes uh
1: i think i busted sung a song about it didn't they did they
0: yes so i've been to the year 1111 (laughs) uh not much has changed but everyone's dying of cholera and your great 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 grandmother has no teeth (laughs) and has been burned (laughs) as a witch it's a classic it's a cracking ditty tom
1: (laughs) yeah it's a goodie well yeah cracking busted content I was just going to ask you what you've been up to. Uh, well, I'm frantically reaching for the reams of paper that are being
0: spat out of my printer at the moment after finally getting the fucker working. What, 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 what's printed on them? God, no. Wanker, leave me alone. I was
2: asleep.
1: <laughs> I'm <I'll> hungover. <laughs> I, I had a big one with a telephone last night.
0: <laughs> me and a photocopier went nuts. Ended up shagging a fax machine. Melf. <laughs>
2: Actually, filth, 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 yeah. (laughs) For milf. (laughs) Beautiful.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast careering into 2021, uh, in which Tom, who's over there... Hello. ...drinking a wanky beer. It is a wanky beer. (laughs) And Sam, over here, drinking an Italian lager. Unreliable. I don't know if that segue made the cut before, but we'll leave that in without context. Discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme a week in advance, or just before Christmas in this case.
1: But everything else that happens is a complete surprise. What's our topic this week, Tom? Well, I am I hope I'm right with this. It's silly military inventions, is it not? It is. Silly military inventions that actually worked. Very oh, important. they supposed to have worked. Shit. <laughs> I didn't get that bit. <laughs> my, you my, know everything i've got didn't work oh well no fine. actually um, no it did a little bit well you know it would have been called a success at the time due to propaganda so
0: you know roll with that's it that's true actually you can just call me an enemy agent for doubting enemy mm. agent for doubting <laughs> yeah it's an odd name right uh yes i think we should just probably we should probably get right into it shouldn't we tom how did you find your research this week
1: oh my yeah my research is fine absolutely fine this is an excellent choice by a listener plenty of silly Solid. military inventions um, made themselves known to me within minutes at beginning my research excellent, Jane. excellent. easy peasy <laughs> well I think what we did have in terms of
0: audience feedback we did have an episode suggestion uh, from Amy and she suggested failed despots as a theme yes she did that episode. was a very good one yeah so I think we should I th- yeah you know, keep that on the front burner mm. we'll do that one sooner oh, rather no, than later no,
1: that would be, that'd be failed one pots on the front burner we're going <laughs> for despots <laughs> sorry yes my my bad failed casseroles <laughs> our oven's broken Is it? Not oh. sure that's going to lead anywhere funny um, But it is <laughs> <laughs> It's a true statement <laughs> The kids are hungry Hey, hey. <laughs> Can I have a pizza? No What You can have a that. fucking we- stew like a Victorian We had to ask our neighbours to, make- to cook our pizzas last night Did you? They did a good job Did that end in some awkward pornography? Knocking on the door <laughs> asking for... Excuse me, madam. Can I borrow your pizza oven? <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm struggling to work out what that's for use and force. <laughs> <it's, it's>, uh... <laughs> would you like extra
0: cheese, madam? Or oh, would you? <laughs> Fiery on the bottom. Only need four minutes until you're done and bubbling. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that your oven's broken.
1: Should we warm your cockles with some history instead? Oh, good idea. I think you should go first, Tom. Should I go first? Okay, right. Yes, um... I think it's your turn. I have no idea. Uh, yes, yeah, so I went back to basics. I read sixty pages of Encyclopedia Britannica, nineteen eighty-six, on military weaponry. Sam, um, oh, wow, a whole article on military military weaponry, and it was a, it's a gem of a resource because uh, I came across a quaint little picture of something called the turtle, which was an early American attempt at a submarine.
2: Ah, and, uh, yes. Have I, you
1: heard about it? V- yes, I have vaguely. Yes. Yeah, I thought you might, and I think many of our American listeners will have heard about it. I wouldn't be surprised to hear this popular topic in, in American schools, for example. But but fuck it, we're going to go ahead with it and tell our tell the story in our own unique way with silly voices and toilet humour.
0: Indeed, <laughs> floppy donkey dick.
1: Um, <laughs> well,
0: I was wondering if there's going to be uh, a flushing small animals down the toilet turtle joke coming, but but no, but no.
1: <laughs> no, no. There's a turtle head opportunity here as well. There is, yes. At some point, if you find... Absolutely. If that opportunity comes up, Sam, don't shy away from it. (laughs) I'll be the first. To poke your turtle's head. (laughs) 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 You'll be the first
0: to show us your turtle's head. Was it ever touched by a priest? The turtle
1: touch a cloth. No. What... <laughs> yes. Yeah, turtle head touching cloth. Yeah. Yes. Is where that was where that was heading. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'd, I'd like to start by just giving our listeners, uh, as I, we mentioned, as I mentioned, a high number of, of whom are American, some background information about an important event called the United States War of Independence. They may not have heard about it. Also known as the American Revolutionary Wars or the American War of Independence or the United States Revolutionary War. Or the rumbling Rhode Island. Well, we're going to get on to that. Or the time that the Americans actually turned up on time for a fight. <laughs> yes. I mean, hard hard not to. They were there <laughs> to begin with. Wow. And also, Sam, they were a bit more British back then, weren't they? They hadn't become all mm. Yankified, you know. all their...
0: No, they were a bit more
1: punctual, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. And, uh, and also, the, ty-
0: the first time the French turned up.
1: It's true. Yeah, it's true. Less sidewalks and gridiron, less garbage cans and tomatoes. Tomatoes, sorry. Tomatoes. Less soccer and Second Amendment. All that crap. (laughs) Um, It's my right to carry ten military-grade guns to my kid's birthday party. (laughs) I don't want to go into too much detail about this because you and I have discussed this before our American history isn't very good we know a lot of our listeners are Americans they'll, have, they'll know a lot about their history so just a brief summary, summary of the start of the War of Independence so on April the 19th 1775 John F. Kennedy led a band of sharpshooters known as the Magnificent Seven in some battles in Massachusetts against British forces who were yes, searching yeah. for stores of horrendously overprocessed cheese and high-fructose corn syrup that the Americans were planning to fill every conceivable food type with to make everyone fat. As we're all aware. Yeah, yeah, we all know. And the Magnificent Seven were then defeated quite easily by better-trained British soldiers who were fighting properly and are not wandering around like the big I am thinking war was a big Hollywood movie with smart quips, big cigars and machine guns in each arm.
0: Yes, absolutely, yes. They just, uh, yes, good old British steel stood in a
1: row. Yeah, did what they were told. Shot when they needed to shoot. Retreat when they're told to retreat. That's how you win wars, isn't it? It
0: really is, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Just try not to fuck up.
1: That's how you win wars. Just try not to fuck up. Keep it simple. Well, of course, we're fighting against,
0: of course, the plucky underdog America. Forever in world (laughs) affairs, the plucky underdog.
1: The American American forces withdrew under the leadership of Colonel Sanders and decided to catch the British (laughs) off guard on Sesame Street. You know, there are so many people who believe that. (laughs) A
0: disconcerting number of people, I reckon, <laughs> if you said that Colonel Sanders was involved in the US War of Independence. <laughs>
1: would, would believe you?
2: Uh,
1: anyway, so after that, um, after the strong leadership, the, the plucky <laughs> leadership of Colonel Sanders, <laughs> hey. um, the British evacuated Sesame Street and refocused on securing the very important port of Disneyland.
0: Yes, uh, not to not to forget, of course, before the uh, the fantastic and very successful retreat known as the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, in which the, <laughs> the British were able to successfully withdraw.
1: Yep, that's right. And that the American forces there were led by General Dolly Parton, weren't they?
0: Yes, they were. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Blessed be her name. <laughs>
1: Anyway, I'd I'd better better repeat the last (laughs) bit and just get that bit more accurate. The British evacuated Boston, refocused on securing the very important harbour of New York. American forces led by George Washington defeated. British kept control of New York harbour for the remainder of the war and used it as a base of operations. Anyway, the Battle of Long Island slash the Battle of Brooklyn, which was um, the battle that led to the British seizing New York harbour, was one of the earliest battles in the Eight Year War and the biggest 30,000 men fought with the British having 20,000, um, the Americans having 10,000. And the British were far better trained. The, the Americans were already in a bad position. It didn't help that they were all farmers and hadn't really had much of an opportunity to, to get trained up. Um, and George Washington famously managed to make a daring and very successful retreat from a besieged position on Brooklyn Heights late at night, catching the British off guard. Had he not managed this, the whole war could have taken a very different course. Yes. Wonderfully British. We'd love a daring retreat. Yes, yeah, so it's wonderfully British historiography, isn't it? It's uh, yes. Getting a good spanking. Bravely in. ran away. <laughs> Get a good spanking and find a way to spin it positively. Um, anyway, so the background information that's been provided, let me introduce the Turtle Submarine, built in 1775. and The Turtle Submarine.
2: With the Turtle Submarine.
1: <laughs> in a land where I was born. That
0: rebelled against the crown. Was a little man called Mel. A Patriot. No? <laughs> uh,
1: we all like
0: a turtle submarine. Anyway. And anti-Semitic Australians. Anti-Semitic Australians.
1: Where, where are you going with this? Anti- oh, Mel Gibson, I'm with you. I've yes. got you I'm with you. Sorry. Anyway. Yes, yes. Anti-Semitic Mel Gibson, who looks remarkably like a South Park character, doesn't he, when he grows a beard? <laughs>
0: yeah he does actually.
1: He's got a really Yes. Yeah, he's got a little strange little smile like a South Park character. <laughs> Have you ever watched um uh What Women Want? Uh n- no. If you, I, I remember watching I already a, I already know what women want, Tom. What's that? Uh Funny History Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese Toasties. It's one of those films It came out in the mid 90s I think, didn't it? And um I remember watching a bit of it because I stumbled across it on TV and thinking, "Wow, that's not aged very well." <laughs> That's sexist. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mel Gibson walking around finding out what women really want, and it's just women gossiping about clothes and shoes and handbags <laughs> and children and breastfeeding and ironing. <laughs> uh... Wonderfully sexist. <laughs> uh, yeah, two submarines. So it was used once. Very unsuccessfully... Third, the submarine... Sorry. <laughs> ...in an attempt to sink a British ship in the New York Harbour in 1776. A remarkably shit invention that didn't do its job very well at all, but bizarrely had some remarkably advanced features. It was also the first submarine to be used in war. So that's one of its biggest claims to fame. What, what was it, its remarkably advanced features, Tom? Did it have a Wendy's? <laughs> no, it wasn't quite large enough.
0: Clearly not American, then. <laughs> no. Just make it bigger
1: I remember going to a motor car museum in uh, New Zealand and had lots of American muscle cars from the sort of 50s and um, from what I could gather from reading about these uh, these cars all of the American car manufacturers back in the 50s just used to add two cylinders to their car to make it sell better so they just got to stay you know, like a 50 cylinder
2: <laughs> a 50 cylinder Ford <laughs>
1: You really think of other ways of outdoing each other. Anyway, I will come on to its its advanced features shortly. It has been attributed, this submarine, to a chap called David Bushnell, but it's widely accepted that another chap called Isaac Doolittle contributed as much, if not more, to the invention. In fact, from my research, it would appear that the only good bits of the invention were uh, were made by, by Mr. Doolittle. Bushnell created all the shit bits that didn't really work very well. So it's a sort of Sam and Tom <laughs> relationship here, and I'll let listeners decide who is who. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> there's not much to say about Bushnell that's particularly interesting. He had a wife, some kids, two legs, an equal number of arms, a head. He slept at night. All right, show off. Did his shit during the day. Standard stuff, really. He studied at Yale College. That's reasonably important. Um, a forerunner to the university, as far as I know. Doolittle was actually quite hard-working and productive, despite his name, and he was basically an engineer, a very religious one too. He had nine children, you know, every sperm is sacred and all that <laughs> jazz. And he ran a very successful shop near Yale College, repairing clocks and doing other little mechanical things. He also sold big bells. Is that, is that a joke? Or no, is... no, he did he did sell big bells. OK. I just thought I'd leave a pause, just in case you wanted to add anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I need to. And now the turtle. It looked like a giant hazelnut. <laughs> yes, a, a giant hazelnut. <laughs> yeah, it did look like a giant hazelnut with enough room for a man to sit inside. And the shell was made of oak and bound together why, with iron why hoops. Didn't they call it the hazelnut then? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not a very threatening name. But... No, neither's a turtle, really, is it? Unless it's a, I don't know, very randy turtle that hasn't had much food for a few days. It supposedly looked like two turtles side by side. Um... Which is a strange yeah it's a strange thing to think isn't it when you look at something that looks like a hazelnut to think oh that also looks like two turtles scissoring um anyway yes
0: it had enough I mean, of- to be honest it's it's a family classic in the data Paulin household though to to laugh heartily at a hazelnut when bought out at Christmas and go ha-ha, look at the lesbian turtles <laughs> we call it, we to be fair we call it the lesbian
1: turtle nut in our house the lesbian turtle nut.
0: Yeah, it doesn't trans It doesn't translate very well from the original German. What do you call a walnut? Uh, what do we call a walnut? We call it a crispy brain. <laughs> a fun-sized crispy brain. A Brazil? Uh, we call the uh, slug fossils.
1: <laughs> very good. Um, cashews.
0: Mice kidneys. <laughs> Peanuts. They're just peanuts.
1: Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, so the, the shell was made of oak, bound together with iron hoops, much like a barrel. It was three metres long, two metres tall and about a metre wide, hence not having a Taco Bell. It had some glass panels on the top to let in some light and for good indoor-outdoor flow. You don't want that on a submarine. Well, I, I, I think it's to Indoor give the Indoor-outdoor flow is not. You want the, the feel of good indoor-outdoor flow, not necessarily any flow itself. <laughs> it's good for the Feng Shui.: Yeah, 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 it just has not architectural flow. To feel too claustrophobic. You want to just bring the two together, the indoor and the outdoor. All of the mechanical instruments inside, so the buttons, the levers, the twiddlers, the cockwangles, the Yankee pulls, the tickle nips, etc, were all covered in something called foxfire. Have you heard of that before?:
0: I've heard of Firefox
1: i also fire oh yes, that's a browser, isn't it? But the fox Historic browser. Foxfire yeah. does sound a little bit like something that happens in Liverpool on New Year's Eve, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's <laughs> i sort of setting fire to a fox. There's <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> dead- <laughs> some dead foxes, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey found
2: some dead foxes, hey, shock them on the mattress <laughs>
1: <laughs> So many
2: dead foxes. I have some badges as well, hey
1: Badges <laughs> Yeah, so a Foxfire it's a really cool natural luminescent substance from some types of fungi 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 and it glows sort of green although unfortunately it didn't work when temperatures dropped i.e when you're underwater so the most beautiful thing about the submarine in my opinion is the very steampunk-esque hg wells style controls so i made up some silly words a moment ago but the pictures and the descriptions of this device that captivated me from the outset Make it look like a cross between Wallace and Gromit's Rocket and a Dick Van Dyke one-man band from Mary Poppins. Ooh. You know, it's a jolly holiday. Well, you know us. eating all the cheese. That we can. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and what makes it even better is the picture in my Encyclopaedia Britannica and a popular picture en- on the internet. You're, en- you're, you're, en- so you're in C- Encyclopaedia. Yeah, I, I went awful push for a there. A picture in Encyclopaedia Britannica in a very popular picture on the internet from 1885, and I'd like to point out by the way that my Encyclopedia Britannica correctly cited this picture and told me it was from 1885, whereas all the mm. versions on the internet just said 19th century. That's what you get when you pay 30 quid for a 35 year old encyclopedia. It's big money, isn't it? You, know, you just get that little bit extra. Anyway, the picture has this chap operating the turtle, and he's got a moustache a suit a waistcoat, a nice pair of shoes, and he's operating this thing. <laughs> he's got—he's you know, pressing one thing down with his foot. He's waggling another thing with one hand, yanking on another with his other arm, blowing through a hole to move something else, pressing down with his ass to control the speed or something. It's ridiculous, um, it's wonderfully ridiculous. All of these intricate, well-designed—I say well-designed—parts uh, of them were well-designed controls and mechanical parts were the work of Doolittle. And in all seriousness, there were a lot of them, and many of them were very innovative. Apparently the turtle had the first underwater depth gauge, the the first clockwork detonated explosive, and most impressively of all, I actually had to reread this a couple of times, the first ever underwater propeller. I shit you not, this guy invented the propeller, which I think was actually powered by hand. So the guy that was in operating this was actually just whirling it around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and... it probably explains, actually, why it moved at a staggering three miles per hour if it was op- if, the, if the propeller was operated by a bloke. Um, anyway.
0: OK, that's actually as fast as I thought it would be, to be fair.
1: Well, it, I mean, yeah. I do still think someone could have swum out um, and, you know, done whatever the, the the submarine was supposed to do faster. But anyway, on the subject of inconspicuousness... Now think about it designed to drill a hole in the bottom of a ship or am I well, supposed to that, that's where we're yeah, we are about to go on to that. Uh, on the subject of inconspicuous, now think about the speed. And now take into account that the submarine could only hold enough air for thirty minutes, so the turtle would have to come up every couple of kilometres for air, which wasn't really ideal, as we'll find out. So the turtle was only ever used once, as I mentioned at the start, on September the sixth, seventeen seventy six, piloted by Sergeant Lee. The plan was, as the turtle had been designed for, to sneak up on the British ship, the Eagle, and to use, which was in New York Harbour, and to use a screw to attach an explosive to the hull of the ship. Simple, right? Well, to start with, it took Lee nice. two hours to get to the ship, presumably with a lot of lever turning and a very sore shoulder. He couldn't see very much because it was evening and the sun was setting and the foxfire wasn't working because it was too cold. There was also a strong current to contend with, and when Lee finally did get to the boat... Things got very comical indeed. Um, he was probably knackered from all the wanking, sort of lever turning, and um, also probably suffering from carbon dioxide poisoning. He made the mistake of starting the clockwork detonator and then realized he couldn't actually attach it to the ship, which he was supposed to drill it in, into the ship. Now you can imagine the scene. Lee is panicking as the timer counts down. Um, eventually he gives up, lets the explosive go in the water, makes his exceptionally slow getaway, and the explosive drifts away and blows up far away from anyone. Doesn't achieve anything. Not long after, the British sunk a ship that was transporting the submarine and it was gone forever. Oh, I don't know why, Your Honour. A few years later, Bushnell, the highly successful military inventor, (coughs) uh, planned to sink some British ships by floating (laughs) some kegs of gunpowder towards them, like river mines. Not one of the kegs hit a British ship, but there were two casualties, two kids who played with one that had washed up on a shore. Um, so, good old Bushdall wasn't really very good at what he did.
0: No, although to be fair, fire ships as an idea for basically scaring and scattering enemy shipping does work. Fire historically
1: ships. It was used quite a lot. Yes, well, I, and this is just yeah. a really simple, cheap version of that. Yeah, I, I, I guess you could see it coming, can't you? You can see a fire ship coming, and this is what they were trying to. They would... yeah, well, I suppose so. Yes, it doesn't. Yeah, the element of surprise doesn't really work with a fire ship
0: because
1: they were bloody useless and just designed to scare you. So, I suppose, yes, you, you
0: have a point. On the
1: subject of fire and the Navy, I was tempted to um, talk about uh, Greek fire. Yes. it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? We'll maybe mm. pocket that one for another time. Uh, two US submarines have been named after Bushnell, one from the First World War and one from the Second World War. Now, I've got an honorary mention here. Which is dazzle camouflage, invented by Ooh. British artist Norman Wilkinson. Have you heard about dazzle camouflage? I, I do know of dazzle camouflage. Oh, I, it's wonderful. Beautiful and fascinating. It is, isn't it? Wilkinson... So, you'll know a bit about this, but our listeners might not. Wilkinson was a Royal Navy volunteer during the First World War, and whilst patrolling for U-boats and also minesweeping in the English Channel, he had a eureka moment. Why would you try to camouflage a ship when the camouflage is, is never going to work at sea? The ship is always going to stand out. Instead... Give them the old razzle-dazzle, razzle-dazzle them. (laughs) Wilkinson's idea...
0: By painting the side of a battleship with a picture of Uncle Ben. (laughs) (laughs) On the other side, advertise Coca-Cola. Thumbed war the old-fashioned way with advertising
1: about poker <laughs> for online poker that would have worked a bit better <laughs> yes um, anyway um yeah so Wilkinson's idea was to make ships very obvious but confusing with geometric designs that made it hard for u-boats to work out which way and at what speed at what speed the ships were going and these ships yes
0: yeah, make them look like a 90s pencil case <laughs>
1: oh yes <laughs> but they were a bit zebra like as well one or two of them as well weren't they Uh, But you are right. They they looked very much like an early 90s sleeping bag slash wallpaper slash (laughs) queen video. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just imagine the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme tune, uh,
0: kind of title (laughs) sequence, but everything is grey.
1: The zebra thing. Zebras have apparently evolved uh, their pattern because as a herd, the patterns can dazzle and confuse predators a little bit. Um, Wilkinson was a conventional artist, by the way, and modern geometric art was in its infancy. So things like cubism, that was only created in the 1910s, so the same decade as, as Wilkinson's idea. A modern demonstration impressed amongst other people, King George V. Oh, I why did I put modern demonstration? A demonstration impressed amongst other people, King George V., <laughs> And the Naval High Command was willing to give it a shot also. Most of the models used to test out the designs and the theory are still owned by the Imperial War Museum, by the way. So, mm. might be in one of their museums in London. They're certainly not at Duxford, which is one of our favourite haunts, slash was one of our favourite haunts, before we became Tier 4. Um, <laughs> yes, before Santa got you into Tier 4. <laughs> yep. Um, around, yeah, a, a 14-year-old Santa, who's not playing by the rules. Um <laughs> around, <laughs> <laughs> No,
0: Santa, I want to sit on your knee. Rules is rules.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please, Mr. Berry My Dad says you're not allowed.
1: <laughs> rules are rules. For the reason they're written on the board. <laughs> no. Around um two thousand three hundred British ships were painted um with dazzle paint jobs, and within a, a, the last year of the First World War, and the American...
0: 2,300? Can you even imagine owning 2,300
1: ships? Well, this was the British... What a stupidly large number of boats. This is the British Empire.
0: Oh, well, in that case, yes, totally. <laughs> <quite
1: certain things. laughs> this, was, this was not long before the largest empire the world had ever known. Was it in yes. 1919, 1918? The American Navy had over 1,200 ships painted this way, around the same time. And dazzle painting was again used by the Americans and the British during the Second World War. There were even some experiments to see if it worked on airplanes by the Americans. And Sea Shepherd, so the marine conservation charity that likes to pester Japanese whalers, they used dazzle paintings on their ship. Although, as a tactic, I, I think it's almost completely redundant now with radar technology. Anyway, the evidence for its effectiveness... Um, is non-existent um, attempts have been made to establish whether or not it worked but the results are inconclusive uh, but i did see a few references to a modern study that suggested the boats weren't fast moving enough to be effective and actually it work better on land with things like tanks but i can't help but feel that if you're a tank in a desert you might be better off being painted like a desert <laughs> yeah. unless you're a tank in a herd of zebras Yes, well, yeah, I mean... Or an herd herd of 80s throwbacks uh, with long shirts.
0: (laughs) I mean, or if you're a zebra in a herd of tanks.
1: Yes, paint the zebras, yeah, paint the zebras like tanks. Yes. I'm not sure that was discussed in this paper, to be honest.
0: Well, that's because they didn't have the the brain of me. (laughs) The brain of me...
1: The, brain on the autobiography me. of Sham. <laughs> <laughs> the brain of me. I just like this yeah. idea of the razzly dazzly boats, you know? Sassing it out <laughs> against the German U boats.
0: They need some special uh, some special horns to kind of a- announce their arrival, don't they? This standard folk
1: horn just isn't quite fabulous enough. They <laughs> do need something more <laughs> fabulous,
2: darling. Just <Yes. laughs> razzle dazzle. <laughs> We're coming, darlings. There's no U-boat <laughs> going to get us.
0: <laughs> see the HMS Craig Revel Hall. One, <laughs> <of course>.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I thought the Paso doble was passé.
1: <laughs> but those torpedoes, darling. I loved your bomb work. Absolutely loved your bomb work. <laughs> That is what I came here to see. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right, though. They could have just played music, couldn't they? Because they were trying to... You know, they weren't bothering about it. They weren't worried about being spotted. They were just accepting that they might get spotted. They should have played a bit of um, Wham, <laughs> <Yeah>. could not they? <laughs> just enjoy it, yeah. Just, just make it... Just camp it out. <laughs> a bit of Kylie, bang out a In bit, of the Navy. Kylie. <laughs> you spin me right round, baby, right round, with your U boat, <laughs> baby, right round, right round. Yes, with a thirty-mile turning circle, right round.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm trying to think Fabulous. of any more '80s songs that could be used for a, a boat. Naval terminology. Right, I've got my 80s songs, I've got my naval turn, I've got my nautical terms. (laughs) Um, Wake me up hmm. before you blow blow. Good, very good. relevant.
0: Burning down the ship, talking heads.
1: Oh, why didn't I think of that before? (laughs) Bombs. Bombs will tear us apart. (laughs) Again.
0: Uh, bridge blown into troubled water.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you shook us all night long.
0: Yes, we're gonna start a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous. That was very interesting, Tom. Very interesting.
1: The submarine was pretty was pretty far ahead of its time, has to be said, wasn't it? Um, well, I think like, I as think these things it, go, it was terrible. Uh, but we've been mocking it, haven't we? well, I've been mocking it primarily. But you know, that's how these things. Uh, evolve isn't it people have a te- that, that, you, people fail more often than they succeed don't they and if you're not failing then you're obviously not stretching the limits enough so these guys were pushing the Indeed. limits with this uh, this submarine they were they were pushing the envelope they were yeah. they were pushing that envelope through the letterbox a bit box. of pioneering american spirit that's exactly the yankee spirit that's exactly what it was and um Indeed. it was shit but it it, it led to Great things, and actually, the th- the, as a whole, it was shit. But many of the components were very, very advanced, as I've said. So, um, yeah, yeah, much like American cars, yeah, exactly, exactly. If you just made a few adjustments, um, it wouldn't be quite as shit, much, much like America, frankly.
0: <laughs> Hello, listeners, <laughs> marvelous. Uh, well, Tom, I, I've got a bit left field this week. I haven't gone for one specific story. I've gone for a, a brief history of birds in warfare, or birds as weapons. And I don't mean birds... Birds as in the lasses? No, not even them, Tom.
1: Not even them, because they're quite badass. They can be, can't they? If, as long as they're not in a Mel Gibson film. They American can be quite Gibson
2: badass. Film. Oh, no. but what happens if my shirt gets covered in blood? Oh, what will I do?
0: <laughs> well, I imagine my shirt will
2: fall off. <laughs> and my bosom will spounce around. I hope they look pert. Cause that's all I care about <laughs> as a woman. <laughs> oh Lordy
0: Lord! How will I get through this medieval epic without my push-up bra? <laughs> no, Tom. I'm talking about the avian birds. <laughs> the avian birds, and and I don't mean as as messenger pigeons or as as kind of photographic or reconnaissance spies, which is very very real things. Obviously, birds are used for. I mean actual birds <laughs> as actual weapons.
1: <laughs> or, or pigeons <laughs> in the, in the Kremlin yep. sitting on a. Sitting on a, a park bench, you know, with a newspaper. Yeah, paper. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> three
0: coos for for Christian. No, well, they have put uh, radio antenna in birds before they put cameras on them. Perverts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hmm. We really don't want to know what pigeons get up to. No, I mean, I mean actual birds as actual you know, weapons. pigeons and are I was feral, ins- aren't
1: they? I learnt this the other day. I can't remember where I learnt it, but all those pigeons you get at places like Piccadilly Circus are feral, mm. so they're domesticated pigeons that have got loose.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. didn't realise that.
0: Yeah, because wild pigeons are completely different. They're very much smaller.
1: You get wild pigeons in New Zealand. the The wood pigeon is a really fat bird. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Anyway, who'd have thought we'd get on some fascinating pigeon chat? Yes, yeah, some ornithology. <laughs>
0: Lovely. Shame none of it's making the cut. I think, God, it has to because it's kind of relevant to the story. Um, But I was inspired (laughs) to to do birds as weapons. Going back to our episode on revenge, it was episode 38 Halcyon Days, and Olga of Kiev, who promised to spare a city if the residents each caught a starling and bought it out to her as a peace offering. At which point, she tied burning cloths to the birds' legs and released them to fly back into the thatched roofs where they'd been nesting. Nice job. The absolute bitch. And I was kind of inspired by this to to look at animals in warfare. And it turns out that uh, actually we've been behaving like absolute cocks to birds for a very, very long time in the name of killing each other. Why does that not uh, surprise me?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So today I'm going to present to you, Tom, a few of the ways through the ages we've been really very unpleasant to nature in our quest to be very unpleasant to each other.
1: Lovely.
0: And first up, and this one is cheating a little bit, uh, we're off to the Ming Dynasty in China which ran from 1368 to 1644 and is, uh, of course, beloved of antiques roadshow fans everywhere who start salivating at the first sight of Ming Var. It just
1: smelt a lot, didn't it? It was 200 years of Pong. It was,
0: yes. Yeah, just very unattractive people, generally. (laughs) Just fantastic, fantastic monobrows all round. (laughs) Crooked teeth. Um, And the the Ming were early adopters of gunpowder weapons. (laughs) (laughs) I got eight toes, eight fingers, and eight guns. But I got some
2: lovely vases. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you like a vase?
0: My my earthenware is highly collectible. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
0: all I got going for me. What with the halitosis tosis all?
1: <laughs>
2: There's no need for a two-child policy back here. <laughs> No. Nobody's shagging we'll nobody. Look
0: here, forget what.
2: No. I mean, I'm
1: butt ugly, but I'm still not shagging nobody else.
0: <laughs> Our 1 to 10 scale of attractiveness has to have a
1: decimal system. <laughs> Point 0.5. And I'm the belle of the village. Just in case anyone is completely lost, um, in the UK, you might say that someone is a Minger. Yes, or they Ming, which does if not they mean smelled. that
0: they are of a yes, <laughs> yeah. That does not, of course, mean that they are of the uh, medieval Chinese dynasty. No. Which means that they're ugly. Mm. Uh, so the Ming were early adopters of gunpowder weapons, and one of the most versatile and vicious that they used was the. Uh, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Do apologise. The Shenhuo Feiya, or the, the Divine h- Fire the Flying God. Crow. What? <laughs> yes i'm oh, sorry i do i do apologize attempt, to, <laughs> attempt that again uh the shenhua Feiya.
1: oh you have a whats it stuck up your nose <laughs> <laughs> yes your mother is a belt
2: sander <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: yes the uh shenhua feya oh no i said that wrong again <laughs> uh <You did. laughs> ooh, i do i do apologize i apologize your holiness i didn't mean it uh or divine <laughs> divine fire flying crow And to picture this weapon, Tom, it's a very simple image in your mind.
1: Divine Fire Flying Crow. The Divine Fire Flying Crow. That sounds like someone who lives in Glastonbury, doesn't it? It does, yes. And sells crystals on the street. Yes, (laughs) not not meth. No, yeah, no, just just crystals.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Divine Fire Flying Crow is the kind of person who would wobble a crystal above your head to heal you and then tell you that Bill Gates is going to give you COVID. (laughs) (laughs) The kind of hippie who also believes in QAnon. It's uh, a picture of this weapon Tom I want you to uh, I want you to take a firework Just your average Standard household firework <laughs> The ones we keep under the sink Yeah okay <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely Absolutely yes Just uh, next to, Yeah between the firelighters The turps And uh, <laughs> All the kids toys And the ele- and, Yeah all the kids toys The electric bug zapper <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I want you to take this firework Tom From under your sink And, and I want you to stick it right up a crow's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Go contemporary on. illustrations of the various versions of this weapon, and there are quite a few out there. If you uh, if you want to Google image search them, uh, range from a papier mâché crow with a very large rectal rocket <laughs> to uh, quite literally a crow, and hilariously and slightly unfairly, rectal someone's... rocket would be my wrestler's name, would <laughs> uh, For me, it's just a it's just an unfortunately placed herb garden top. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very bitter. <laughs> very bitter, yeah. this rocket. Bit more bitter than usual. Yes. <laughs> very earthy.
0: Really really lingers on the tongue. <laughs> yes, rustic. It really takes me back to an Italian farmhouse, this. <laughs> so it ranges from a, from a papier-mâché crow with a very large rectal rocket to a literal crow, and very unfairly, Tom, the crow appears to have had its beak taped shut to avoid complaints. <laughs> with four with and and this is where a theory of aerodynamics really have come in helpful tom a a genuine crow with four rockets pointing downwards strapped under its wings (laughs) which seems to be both somewhat overpowered and rather ineffective (laughs) kind of the jeremy clarkson of bird missile hybrids (laughs) And the idea was that these birds, uh, masters of gliding and and fairly innocuous, would be fired en masse at slow-moving enemies. (laughs) From around two two kilometres away, uh, they would arc across the sky before the rocket burned out and the bird would glide to its target before deploying a number of of possible payloads. It could either be filled with high explosives or a small charge with lots of shrapnel in it. It could release a cloud of poisonous sulphur or it could drop darts or caltrops and uh, I don't know if you if do you know what a caltrop is Tom no I don't know what a caltrop is oh there's a thing called the caltrop effect which is the idea that when dropped things with sharp edges will always land sharp side up so for example when you drop a plug it will always be upturned and can be very painful dangerous to walk on so essentially these birds would explode and spray the battlefield with Lego Lego (laughs) to break (laughs) (laughs) break up enemy formations (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, the paper bird actually worked very well. The seemingly real crow with four boosters on it, apparently not so much. <laughs> it just it just spiralled violently into the sky <laughs> before, the, before the poor bastard bird exploded. Uh, nevertheless, the idea did make it to Europe with a very nice diagram of a spectacularly sharting dove
1: <laughs> being
0: presented
1: in the a birds, 1420s... Of all the birds <laughs> to, to choose to do a shart, why a dove? A beautiful dove... <laughs> A symbol of peace and you've got it sharting what's wrong <laughs> yes. with a feral pigeon sharting why can't you have a dove kissing and, well less militarily valuable true
0: unless unless you're looking for peace i mean but yes well that's the thing you, you it's a trick tom it's like the red wedding yeah you think it's a peace offering and then it
1: sharts on and you then it sh- <laughs> and then it
0: sharts it, sh- it sharts lego all over you <laughs> I'm
2: not a dove, I'm so, a crow that's been painted white.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible that the author of this manuscript just ran out of ink. Didn't bother colouring in the dove. <laughs> um, but yes, it was presented in a 1420s treatise entitled, uh, and this is my uh, excellent never having spoken Latin before Latin, Bellicorum Instrumentorum Liber Cum Figuris et Fictilis Lictoris Conscriptus, or Illustrated and Encrypted Book of War Instruments Stickle, what's by up Giovanni Fontana. Sam-
1: Yes. Stick a what up your ass? In the past, a tense. firework,
0: Tom, and shoot me at a Chinaman. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a long-lived invention—the firework up a bird's ass—that wasn't solely, in fact, limited to birds. There is an amazingly illustrated German artillery manual or a work book. God bless the a Germans. What about <laughs> cheese. I just don't know what's <laughs> going on this episode, Sam. Tom, it's a it's a wonderful interjection, a fantastic joke, but it's literally called a firework book.
1: <laughs> a firework book There's <laughs> this German illustrated artillery manual. That's a very good impression of a deaf person, Sam. Well done. Sam <laughs> You bastard. That is not
0: audience what I was intending. Thomas merely a cock from from 1584 this manuscript which shows a bird and a cat wearing apparently jetpacks right (laughs) whilst being propelled at speed
1: towards a walled city Um, (laughs) you're just describing crazy birds aren't you angry Angry birds birds, yes angry birds Angry Birds,
0: yes, and, and also uh, Roadrunner and wily Coyote. Coyote. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But it's, it's genuinely, it's a, it's a cat and a bird shooting at great speed towards a city with rockets strapped to their backs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here's a quote, Tom, on how to use a cat in battle from this manuscript, and it was translated by Mitch Frass from Pennsylvania University, or the University of Pennsylvania. Create a small sack like a fire arrow. If you would like to get at a town or castle, obtain a cat from that place. Bind the sack to the back of the cat, ignite it and let it glow well and thereafter let the cat go so it runs to the nearest castle or town and out of fear it sinks to hide itself where it ends up in a barn of hay or straw and it will be ignited. Uh, so not so much a jetpack as a suicide vest but essentially strap a bomb to a cat The cat is terrified. The cat runs towards a barn in the castle, hides there, and the castle burns down. Nice. Genius. Or, of course, Tom, as the uh, German New Wave band Nina's great-great-great-great-great-grandmother once famously sang, You and I near a little town, catch a cat and pin it down, set them free at the break of dawn, with a flaming backpack on. Back at castle chaps in armor really couldn't be less calm as flailing wildly in the sties 99 flaming cats die
1: nice <laughs> you wrote that down didn't you i, I don't believe you're that good
0: at I, I did write that down tom i did write that down and incidentally here's a lovely german phrase for you 99 flaming <laughs> katzen 99 flaming cats <laughs> So uh, all those episodes ago, Tom, when we talked about Olga of Kiev burning the Drevlians, uh, way back in the 10th century this happened, or as we call it, episode 38. We both said at the time, like, fuck, that happened. That's clearly just Chronicler's talking mm. shite when she released the birds to burn down the town. But actually, this same tactic was being suggested in a military manual 600 years later. So maybe, maybe there was something yeah. to it. Incidentally, by this time, by the uh, 15th, 16th century, the Chinese and Japanese had gone had gone larger and scaled up and were doodling pictures of explosive-packed cows and bulls and oxen sent stampeding towards an enemy force, which, uh, I mean, they would have gone off with a God, hell of a That goes bang.
1: back, doesn't it? Is that episode three where we talked about Hannibal?
0: No, it's episode one, Tom. It's a copy and paste from what Hannibal did against the Romans in the Second Punic That's War. right. Or, as we like to call it, our pilot episode in which you talked about old Quintus the Delay, That's
1: right. Quintus Fabius... Vericosis. Vericosis, that's Haughty right. Face warty Fabian. Fabius,
0: yeah. Warty face Fabian, yeah. So history just repeats itself, doesn't it? And we've run out of material for this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even reached 100 episodes and we're repeating no. content. Perilously close, but we're not quite there yet. But there is slightly more, Tom, and I'll
0: go through this very quickly because fast forward 300 years and the British and Americans were at it again during world war ii a guy called bf skinner from harvard university trained pigeons to peck at an image of the german battleship bismarck to get treats the image would appear (laughs) in one of three windows left middle or right he then put the pigeons in a gliding missile with fins controlled by whichever of the windows the birds pecked at left for the left right for the right and straight ahead in the middle the idea was that this bird bomb so just scaled up the idea uh, would then be launched close to a battleship and spotting it out the window and associating it with treats, the birds would then steer the bomb towards the oh, ship. Oh, that's
1: genius! I wondered where
0: that was going. And you know what, Tom? It fucking worked! <laughs> it was an am- it worked absolutely amazingly well. Pigeons are incredibly well uh, suited to being trained like this. It's how homing pigeons and carrier pigeons work. They recognise landmarks and they recognise shapes and rivers and roads and use them to navigate back home. And you know it's it's quite a famous statistic in the UK that the UK is obsessed with racing pigeons or used to be back in the day. And the speed of racing pigeons increased markedly once Britain built its motorway network because the birds had a very efficient route home to follow. They weren't relying on rivers right? anymore. Yeah. And so their speeds increased dramatically because they just they just follow shapes and signs. Um, so the idea worked incredibly well. It did have its limitations. You had to train the pigeons for very specific targets to stop it from careering in a seed-filled red mist towards the first rowboat it spotted. But (laughs) (laughs)
2: as long as you had a few weeks to train it to sink the (laughs) turpits, they were very reliable weapons. No, this is Mr. Miggins. Peck Mr. Miggins. Who won last year's 100 kilometer pigeon race. Yes. (laughs) And won the prize gherkin. (laughs) Peck Mr. Miggins. Left a bit. Shit on his head. There's his house. Shit on his head.
0: There were dozens of nineteen sixties pornographers just um, training the birds (laughs) training the birds (laughs) to go after boobs and strapping cameras to them in a Benny Hill esque attempt to perfing on young ladies. (laughs) And
2: now when you find a porno mag in a bush, pick it up. That's it, here's a treat. (laughs) Now pick it up again. Here's a treat. That's a a treat for you and me. And if you find a lady's underwear on the washing line, (laughs) pick it off. Now bring it home. Bring it to Uncle Nigel. Yes, that's right. Bring it. Bring it. And put it down. On my head. That's right. On On my my face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Knock knock. Nigel! Nigel, what are you doing in there? Nothing,
2: mother. Nothing, mother. (laughs) Shouldn't you be at work? Mother, I'm 35 now. Stop asking me questions. (laughs) When's tea, mother? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't like fish fingers. I want sponge pudding. (laughs)
0: Fun as this segue is, <laughs> unfortunately, pigeon bombs were actually... They were out technology, so they worked. They genuinely did work very, very well. Unfortunately, they came along at roughly the same time as radar-guided bombs, <laughs> which uh, which took some of the risk and training time out of the equation. Uh, although, had radar never been invented, who knows? Jet fighters today could be firing pigeon-guided bombs. Still, the theory worked better than the Soviet dog bombs. Have you heard of them, Tom? I th- now, this is the
1: w- one of them that I think I have heard... So- it's quite well known, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard it. I didn't know the other ones.
0: Yeah, so uh, so so the Soviets trained dogs, and, and the dogs would would have cases full of explosives on their back with a big stick poking out which would act as a trigger and they trained them to go and hide under tanks when they were scared that's right uh, which in theory would cause them to run under the nearest german tank and cause it to explode unfortunately the russians when they were training the dogs didn't have any german tanks they only had russian ones <laughs> and so once released the dogs immediately ran to the nearest friendly tank hid underneath it and blew it up uh so there you go oopski And finally, Tom, in our last avian weapon of mass destruction, we have the British Chicken Mine. Uh, Have you heard of the British Chicken Mine,
1: Tom? I have not heard of the British Chicken Mine. Was that invented by Colonel
0: Sanders? (laughs) Well, Tom, it was a a blend of 12 herbs and spices, one of which uh, was uranium, one of which was polonium. (laughs) This was a nuclear weapon powered by chickens, Tom. Wow. This is the most British invention you'll ever come across. (laughs) Basically, in the throes of the Cold Cold War, the British wanted to develop a scorched earth weapon to plant on the West German border, should those dastardly commies invade. So they came up with the idea of burying underground nuclear bombs.
1: (laughs) You haven't got much choice here. We're going to scorch everything.
0: There's literally nothing we can do other than to nuke the fuck out of Germany.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And everything
2: between Russia
1: and us.
0: (laughs) We've considered all options... We've also decided, uh, well, we haven't really decided, it was thrust upon us, that, uh, that also, just for safety's sake, we should also plant these bombs under Paris. Uh, we just, <laughs> we've tried to come up with an option which doesn't involve nuking everyone, and unfortunately it's just it's just not happening. Sorry, fellas. Auf Wiedersehen.
2: But, sir, couldn't we just nuke the Russians? Oh, don't be stupid.
0: Where's no, the fun no, in that? No. <laughs> no, we can't nuke the Russians anyway, because they've invaded Germany, so the Russians are in Germany. We just have to nuke Germany. So, I mean, this was obviously an insane idea from the outset. Um, the idea of burying underground nuclear border mines. Because fuck civilians. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, well, I mean, Dresden, wouldn't be the first time. Unfo- and I know your feelings on Dresden. <laughs> unfortunately, the Russians are very good at fighting in winter, and nuclear bombs are very finickety things. Unfortunately, it require some expertise. And, uh, you know, they're, frankly, they're snowflakes, Tom nuclear weapons they need need things just right Uh, and they very much don't like the cold and the Brits were worried that their carefully planted mines wouldn't go off and raise the German countryside if the Russians invaded in the winter and their solution was ingenious
1: let's just clarify this the British were very responsibly nuclear mining Germany they wanted to (laughs) horrendous (laughs) much like
0: and it doesn't get talked about very much Winston Churchill wanting to gas the Kurds in Iraq (laughs) Crikey. Which is a, a policy a policy that didn't age well. Unfortunately, the RAF didn't have gas canisters at the time, which uh, put paid to his plans. <laughs> so, so yes, the British solution to this was absolutely ingenious. They made a nuclear bomb that had a chicken coop built in. <laughs> Five or six chickens were put into this nuclear bomb with enough food to keep them going for a week and or well, a couple of weeks, and essentially were laid to roost in there, and the mine was. and the chickens gave off enough body heat to keep the mechanical Ah. bits of this nuclear bomb working. That's not ridiculous. It worked fantastically well. Unfortunately, those bloody hippies came along, Tom, and pointed out that nuking Germany to stop the Russians wasn't an ethically sound policy. And so the idea was shelved. But the chicken mine, again, worked fantastically well as a concept. It was more than enough to keep a nuclear bomb active underground for uh, for a couple of weeks. So there you go, Tom. A brief one thousand year history of
1: uh, setting fires and blowing things up by birds. Excellent, excellent choice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind of took you in that direction, but I'm glad something did. Yes, it's a, wonder- a wonderfully yeah. surreal way to go with your research.
0: Oh, I thought so. <laughs> Well, I did have a couple of other options. There was a book that I was looking at called the uh, the Bella Fortis, I think it was called, which was uh, just a very f- a very funny medieval field manual of siege weaponry. Uh, a lot of which was completely made up.
2: Oh, well, have I it not done that? Just didn't exist.
0: Nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. But unfortunately, it just didn't translate very well into spoken form because it's all about the pictures. It's look up Bella Fortis online. It's fantastic. It's got weapons designed to kind of hack the legs off a hundred peasant soldiers at a time. It's got weapons designed to pluck rich men off their horses. Uh, rich men worth ransoming whilst at the same time massacring poor oh, yeah. men if you pluck them off the horses. Look at this. It's essentially a pair of scissors with steel teeth in it, which would bed into the armour of a rich man, but would just eviscerate a poor man. Um, and it also has sections on If I had all the scissors in the world. <laughs> and uh, it's also got a section on how to run the perfect bath and Satanism. <laughs> oh, and chastity <laughs> belts as well, just to read the manuscripts, because medieval manuscripts. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's people's friend. Tom, it's the kind of thing you pick up in a doctor's
2: surgery.
1: <laughs> there we go. They are good pictures of the Bella Fortis, aren't they? I, I, I'm sure I talked about one mad medieval military document. You did, but it wasn't yes, that one, was uh, it? Something different. No,
0: and you went too far down your research and decided it was boring, but it was too late. So you talked about it anyway. Classic episode. Do go look it up.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that oh uh, it was the veg, 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 veg vegitis. <laughs> no Dil- no that's a yeast infection <laughs> <laughs> and delicious on toast
0: oh no <laughs> but uh yes there you go I, I, was, I was strongly considering doing that but unfortunately uh it just didn't translate very well into written form but it gets an honorable mention
1: good job good job well, that rounds things off quite nicely, doesn't it? It does. Should we think of a topic for our patrons' episode? Well,
0: actually, do you know what? We've got one lined up for our patrons' episode next week, don't we? What In be that? In a sense, because we said the other week that we should do an episode on showmen, and I want to do an episode on showmen. Showmen. Razzle dazzle them. Razzle dazzle men. Yeah, should we do showmen for the patrons? Showmen or women, I'd like to point out. All women, all women, absolutely. Show people? He, she, it, they. And we can then do uh, Failed Despots, Let the, week the next public after episode. Failed Despots. That's a couple of cracking episode good topics. Ideas, just, uh, good ideas. And if you'd like to be a patron and hear that episode on Showman, I think there's a good... Um, ooh, now, how many episode, How many patron-only episodes are there? I think there's probably nearly 20 patron-only oh, episodes. There's, eno-
1: there's enough um, for a good day of vegging on the sofa.
0: There absolutely Nothing is, yeah. Laughing
1: probably every hour and a half
0: five five to eight minutes <laughs> a sensible chuckle you can find them all and so much more songs doodles print your own medals uh, at patreon.com/ that was genius where for only the price of a coffee from a, well, a coffee from a very expensive coffee shop once you can join us that's all once a month just one, that's a once a month treat uh, you get two exclusive episodes every month. Uh, you also get songs, you get doodles, you get that you get a lot. You get a lot, don't you, Tom? That's patreon.com slash that was genius.
1: VIP access to Sam and Tom's email address. Uh, do, what, isn't, yeah. Well,
0: the
1: that was genius
0: one. Yeah, uh that was geniuscast at gmail.com. That one. Where we cross compare your email address when you come into uh, to Patreon and uh, and if you're not a Patreon, we just uh, we just send it straight to spam. We just, sell, we just sell you details, frankly, to, uh, to sex chat lines. Yeah. So, so if you want to be connected to hot single 50-year-olds in your area, uh, do email us. Hot. That was geniuscast hot, at gmail.com.
1: pigeon perverts. <laughs> yeah.
0: Pigeon perverts in your area. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you can also join our Facebook meme-sharing group. That was Genius, a funny history podcast group, uh, where you can just share shit Fun shit. Happy shit. Don't be racist, though. Don't be racist. Do be nice to each other. Just don't, just don't be racist. And none of our fans are racist, he says. <laughs> Hoping. <laughs> yeah, well, apart from Tom. But he's not a fan. <laughs> right, Tom, say goodbye. Bye-bye. And it's bye-bye from me, Sam. And we will see you next week if you're a patron. Two weeks' time. If you're not, TTFN.